Hey, good morning. Are you guys doing okay? I'm okay. Thank you for asking. I actually uh, flew in yesterday, but I was actually in uh, L.A. So I came in Saturday morning and flew out Saturday afternoon. And so I'm going back tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, I'm flying back out to Bali. I'm doing a wedding there, you know, suffering for the Lord. And, uh, and then uh, on Monday, fly to Beijing. And then Tuesday, fly to New York. And I'll be back. And so, so it's a busy time right now. But uh, I just say that because I felt it was very, very important to be here on this Sunday. And I know the first week, uh, Pastor Benjamin spoke. Uh, and then uh, uh, Dr. Steve. And so I felt like, oh, okay, I better do this. And I got permission from the big boss, which was my wife. And so she said, okay, you can please do this. And so I'm here. Then there's a big, big boss, obviously, God. Uh, make that straight. Okay, I don't, I don't idolize anything. Um, but I wanted to just, uh, uh, just share a word I feel like God spoke to me about. And I hope, I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to uh, bring clarity to all that you've been going through. I'm not that good of a speaker to be able to do that uh, through one message. Um, and so as I was praying these last uh, three weeks or so, uh, I just really felt like uh, I needed to share a word for the community. And hopefully afterwards, I would like to lead us in a time of prayer. And so you can stick around. I know the next service is 2.30, right? And so that's a lot of time to pray. Um, I, I, don't, I don't expect you to be here the whole time, right? If you want to, that's okay. I'm probably going to go have lunch. Uh, but you guys can... Uh, continue on, and uh, we'll spend that time together. And so let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And, but let me just start off by saying, it's very interesting. I never noticed this before, but I looked on your, uh, your uh, what is the banner here? It's the year of restoration. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Man, what a prophetic passage. And I know that in New Philly community, actually the word restoration also is the word discipline. And what an incredible prophetic message for you guys. Like God was already priming you before these events unfolded by giving you this theme. Isn't that interesting? It it wasn't a surprise. It may have been a surprise to many of us, myself included, uh, you know, I mean, I'll be honest. Uh, once you get to know me, I, I can only be honest. And people always say, uh, P. Sam, you're always a straight, uh, straight shooter. You know, when I was first asked to be part of this assessment, uh, to be perfectly honest, I thought I was going to come. I thought I was going to rebuke some elders. I, I'm just perfectly honest. I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some elders, put them aside, and say, hey, man, you've got to get your act together, support your pastor, and so on and so forth. And then during the course of the assessment, I realized, actually, something else needs to take place. And it's amazing how this works out. It's the year of restoration. I think it's a year of restoration for Pastor Christian and Aaron, and it's a year of restoration for New Philly as well. Amen? Is, is that, does that sound like, I mean, it's, it's, I mean I, I was just in the worship, I was watching this screen. I was like, what in the world? God had already spoken this over your community. And now we just have to live this thing out uh, under his grace. Amen? All right. Hebrews 11. I want to talk about faith today. Faith. So Hebrews 11, verse 1. Many of us should be very familiar with this passage. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard. And then I'm going to read it in probably my favorite translation, which is the message. Uh, This is Eugene Peterson's translation. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The message says this. He says the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Isn't that great? The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for this house. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, God, here in all the communities throughout the uh, New Philly, God, in their ecosystem. Lord, we just pray a blessing today, God, as the word of God is preached, Lord. God, uh, to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just to convey your words, God, but to convey your heart. God, we thank you, Lord. We love you in this house, Lord. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Faith. Faith is this most amazing thing that every single one of us that are call ourselves Christians, we have. It's, it's what sets us apart from, from everybody else in essence when we talk about our religion or our faith or our belief in this way. But faith actually has two different sides to it. You can think of faith as two parts of a coin, the heads and tails part. The first part is what we call intellectual conviction. Like, like you have to believe, you have to have an intellectual conviction that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. There's an intellectual conviction that Jesus Christ died for you. There's an intellectual conviction. And so you, you, you go through the history, you read the scriptures, you read other books, uh, whatever leads you to this conviction in your mind that this is the truth, that the Bible that we have is the word of God. It's intellectual conviction. And so most of us are pretty good with that. But the other side, the other side of the coin, which many of us have very difficulty Uh, following through and doing is what we call the volitional surrender of our will. So intellectual conviction and then a volitional surrender of our will. And actually, in other words, actually doing what you believe that you should do. It's actually living out the very thing that you believe in. Um, I I just, we, this, uh, uh, maybe, gosh, it's been so long. Two months ago, uh, we took our whole staff to Israel. And it was, it's our 15th anniversary as a church. And so our board thought we'd bless the staff. And so we went to Israel. I usually go every two years. I, I, do, I do, basically do Bible studies in, in these biblical sites. I, I love doing this. And so I, I learned a lot about Israel. I learned a lot about Judaism and a lot about um, uh, the rabbis and the rabbinical teachings. And, and it, it brings the word of God even deeper. Uh, one year I was at the Wailing Wall. And I was at the wall, and I noticed that, and and by the way, this is what the Jews believe is the place where the glory dwells. It's actually not actually the real wall, but it's the closest they can get to it. And so they come there, and they pray there every day. I mean, it's crazy. And so uh, one day I was walking in, and and what I typically do, I'll go and pray at the wall, and obviously I'm praying a little different prayer than the the Jews are. Um, But as I walk in, I notice this booth, and this this rabbi is passing out basically these, these phylacteries. Uh, uh, these uh, basically in Hebrew is called the tefillin. And so they would pass these things out, and it was basically these, these uh, um, kind of headlamps, uh, two, two of them, and then they would get a, 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 a leather band, and they would wrap it over their head and over their left arm and all the way down their hand. And I thought, man, that's just cool. 
You know what I mean? Like, like we just pray. We just come to church and we pray. But these guys get leather bands and they wrap it around themselves and, and all the way down. And then they go to the wall and they just start praying, you know, holding this in, in their hands. And I thought, man, what a beautiful sight. It's always beautiful when people pray. And so I went to the booth and I said, hey, man, what is that? That's so cool. And the guy began to tell me it's out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And that's when uh, uh, Moses was commanded that they should take a, the frontal of their head and then go down their arm. And, and, but the significance of that was it was the pleasure, the joy to honor God by obeying the commandments. In other words, it was, th- think of how they thought in this way. Think about it was your head, that means your mind, intellectual conviction, But see, it can't just stay in your mind. It's got to go all the way down, and it's your left arm, which is closest to your heart, and it goes all the way down your arm, which meant that what you think has to be connected with what you do. That's so important for us. You can't can't just believe something and not do it. What do they call that? They call that a hypocrite. That's why churches are so looked down upon, because we believe something, but we never do it and live it out. And so the Jews, every day, these are 13 years or above men, would have to go to this place. And in the morning prayers, they put on the phylacteries above their head, which meant their mind was given to God. And inside the phylactery, what usually were verses, primarily the Shema. And Deuteronomy said, Hear, Israel, the Lord is our one. And so on and so forth. And so it would go all the way down. It would go connected to our heart, which is the seatbed of our emotions, and then falling down to our arms, which meant that it's action. That's what... Real, true faith is. Faith is not just believing and understanding with our minds. Faith is understanding it, having the emotive, our hearts, it's, it's there as well, and then we act it out. That's real faith. And that's the kind of faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about in this place. And faith, when you have it, when you've seen other people, it is amazing. It causes the disciples to sing while they're in prison and beat up. It it, it causes all men through the scriptures to to exalt and worship God in the midst of tribulation. It caused people to endure ill treatment. And I know there's a lot of young people here, a lot of millennials here. Man, you you guys would just want comfort. Well, actually, us old guys too. We all want comfort. I can't just speak out to the millennials in this way. But, But faith causes us to choose to endure ill treatment. Faith, no matter what their circumstances, no matter how puzzling or confusing it may be, what faith does to the life of a believer, it helps us to accept all things as a part of God's will. Faith is amazing. Faith, intellectual conviction, but also the volitional surrender of our will, the action that flows through it. Let, let, me, let me show you a passage. Turn to John chapter 6. Let, let me describe how Jesus actually is describing this idea. In John chapter 6, uh, John in, in chapter 6, he does a lot of really cool miracles. He feeds a bunch of people, thousands of people, with just a few pieces of bread and fish. And so they have this discourse that comes, and these followers come to the Lord, and they ask him this question. And probably many of us have asked this question of the Lord as well. So he's talking about uh, work for, for uh, don't work for the leaven of Herod. And, and so Jesus starts the teaching. So let's just pick it up at verse 28. This is John 6, 28 and 29. And they therefore said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Check out what Jesus is saying. 
So he's telling them, work for God. Don't work for food that, that, that perishes. Work for God that's imperishable. And then so these guys ask the, the, the excellent follow-up question. All right, God, what do you want me to do then? They say, what are the works of God? She says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, what do you want me to do for you, God? And look at Jesus' response. Jesus says, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. And now I remember the first time I read it, it's like, uh, Jesus, you never really asked, answered that question. Isn't that really frustrating? Jesus hardly ever a- answers questions properly like we think he does or he should. They ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, this is what I want you to do. Believe. Jesus, no, no, no. I don't think you understand what I just asked you. I'm a college student. I got to figure out what I got to do, man. Right? I got these loans that, that I'm piling up on me. I, I, I gotta, Lord, tell me, what do I do? Tell me what to do. What shall I do that I may do the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God. Believe. Oh, Jesus, you're frustrating me to death here. I ask, what do I do? See, this is the difference. When we talk about believing or this idea of having faith, when Jesus talks about believing, we totally miss each other. See, in our economy, believing, we, we, because we're, we're West, I know we're in Korea, but we're, we're Western educated. And so the idea is that it's intellectual. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not. In other words, let me paraphrase what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you really believed, the work would take care of itself. The problem is you don't really believe. You like fake belief. You, you like talk believing. If you really think about it, if you really believe there is a hell, you would witness to so many people every single day. If you really believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we, we, you know what I mean? We would, we would be so grateful and live righteously. The reason why we don't do that is we really don't believe. We fake believe. We talk like we believe. Intellectual conviction, the volitional surrender of our will. Inherent in Jesus' answer to these disciples was that true believing, true faith, faith, true faith will bring about the work. See, at church, I don't have to tell couples to stop sleeping with each other if they really believed. I'm talking about non-married. And even married outside. We don't have to do any messages on sexual purity if we really, really believe. The reason why we have to continue to do that is because the reality is we really don't believe. Let's just really be honest. I mean, think about the the, the biggest hurdles in your life right now. I want to suggest to you it's an issue of this volitional surrender of our will. You have an intellectual conviction, but you have not surrendered your will to the Lord and thus follow through. In that regard. That's why James, now James is the brother of Jesus. Understanding his brother's heart, he says faith without works is dead. He, he knew exactly what he's talking about. Because if you really believe, the work would take care of itself in this way. James 11.6, continue on. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.6, continue on. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Like, we read that, 
And we, we're like, yeah, 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 I get, I get it. But yet we do so many other things that are not in faith. In fact, primarily our generation, we operate more in fear than we do in faith. It's crazy how that works. We, we, we say, yeah, without faith, it's impossible to please God. John, uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 15, Jesus is speaking in John's writing. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I believe that. But we do everything in our own strength. Isn't that crazy? He says, apart from me, he says, Jesus saying, see me, if you don't do it through me and, and I give you the power, you can't do anything. And we say, Lord, I can do something, man. I can do a little something, something. Come on. I got some gifts. I got some talents. I got some abilities. I got some acquired traits. I can do something. Jesus said, no, no, no. You can't do jack. I mean, you got to let that really sink in. Without faith, it is impossible. Absolutely un- unable. It's impossible to please him. And that should be the course of our life. Ephesians, Paul says, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's our pursuit as the people of God in this way. Intellectual conviction but the volitional surrender of our will. Many of us, we're okay with the intellectual conviction. I I, I think you you guys get that. But the surrender of our will is a totally, totally different story. Um, I'm I'm from uh, the Los Angeles area. I'm actually from Orange County, and I I grew up in Irvine. uh, um, But I remember as I was going to church, I got saved in college. And so I was kind of late as a Christian, and as uh, uh, I went into ministry, pastor, as I, actually first I, I worked at a bank, I was an accountant. And then I moved into ministries, first youth ministry, and then college ministry, and then young adult ministry. It's kind of the trajectory of what we do. And so I remember one of the most frustrating things was, uh, and I'm sorry if, if this kind of hits home to many of you, but one of the most frustrating things was just watching single women at the church. I mean, like women of God, strong powerful and just watching over the course of their years as they remain single to see their standards going down and down and down the women first off they're like oh man my husband he's gonna be a man of god i mean my husband's gonna be a prayer warrior my husband's gonna be the bomb i mean he's gonna you know it's all these different things and then a few years passes my husband he's gonna go to church i just want him to go to church that's all we need. He just needs to go to church on Sunday. And then a few years passes. My husband, he just needs to breathe. He just needs a heartbeat. I don't care what it is. He just, just as long as he's alive and two arms and two legs, and that's, that's good enough for me. Now, we laugh, but we've seen that happen, haven't we? Intellectual conviction. Yeah, they, they know this. They understand this. The scriptures are very clear. Do not be unequally yoked. And yet they believe that God will provide for them. But then they start on these other paths out of the fear. Out of the fear of being alone. Out, out of the pressure of parents. And, and, and the, the watching their friends get married and have babies and all. Listen, I, I, I know. I, I got married late as well. I understand that. And we've seen that in our church. Our church is a bit older than you guys are, you know, a little bit older. And we've, we've seen this, this happen, this trajectory. But it's amazing uh, what, what God does when people are faithful. 
I mean, there's a couple of 50-year-old ladies in our church that met amazing, amazing men of God. I was so blessed to be able to do their wedding ceremonies. And they waited, and they're so happy, so fulfilled. I, I, I have a whole list of other people that went off and did their own thing, and they're so miserable. They come down a few later down the road and said, P. Sam, you're right, man. My marriage sucks right now. And, I mean, we're even fighting about tithing and all kinds of stuff, and I should just listen to you. But that's what happens. Intellectual conviction, but no surrender of our will. I see this with our businessmen at our church and, and you know, maybe even here. They, 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 are, they are intellectually convinced that God has given them this job. I mean, they, they, are, they are convinced that God has blessed them with abilities and the connections, and now they're working and earning a salary and have influence and all these things. But yet, somewhere down the road, in order to really make it, in order to really make money, and I need to go to those room salons. I need to drink, and I need to party, and I need to entertain, and, and so on and so forth. Intellectual conviction, but no volitional surrender of our heart in this way. I mentioned to you, I grew up in L.A. I was there during the L.A. riots. If you, some of you guys probably weren't even born then. Uh, but there were these riots, uh, this race wars. These, the the uh, uh, police, the LAPD, beat up this uh, uh, African-American man mercilessly. And a uh, court case happened, and they actually got off free, which was really indicative of the corruption in the justice system, uh, particularly towards uh, uh, minorities. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, downtown L.A., they started rioting. And, I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. And the crazy thing is they attacked Korean businesses primarily uh, in this place. And uh, at that time, I was living in Lugan Nagel, so I was watching this on TV. I actually wanted to go and help some of my friends who had businesses there. Uh, but my, my, my parents wouldn't let me go. Probably a good idea uh, that they didn't. And it's, it's crazy. So many people, Koreans during that time, lost so much during the riots. If you remember, fires everywhere, they lost their businesses. And, and a lot of these guys were, were deacons and elders at their church. Now, you know, the sad thing was the United States government was giving uh, um, payouts uh, from basically not, not just their own insurance, but from the government to help people during these uh, uh, states of emergency. And they, they declared a state of emergency over this Los Angeles County area. And the crazy thing was these elders and these deacons, they hardly received anything as so they couldn't rebuild their businesses. You know why? Because they were cheating on their taxes. They were basically telling the government that we're making like $20,000 a year when they're actually making $100,000 a year. So the payout they got was only a little minuscule amount because that's, that's what all they were reporting. See, intellectual conviction, but no surrender of our will. Every one of those elders believed that that was God's business for them. That God had blessed them with that business. That, that, that they should follow the laws. Everyone believed that. But it's such a difficult thing, a, a whole other matter to actually live that thing out. Let me give you a closer story to home. I feel like I'm just pointing on all these tragedies that happened. I moved to Hong Kong in, so this, this is a crazy, crazy trajectory. I got married in uh, March of 2002. I came to, in, to Hong Kong in July of 2002. My wife and I, we came on a vision trip. We prayed. God said, go. And so we moved. I moved in November of 2002. My wife moved in December of 2002. Uh, we fasted uh, for a period of time, beginning of the year, and we started Solomon's Porch in February of 2003. Uh, 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 about, I'd say about a year into it, or even less than a year, SARS happened. 
You remember SARS, the uh, sudden acute respiratory syndrome, and people are dying like all over the place. And so my parents, my mom and my dad, they were missionaries in Uzbekistan. They were Southern Baptist missionaries. And so they were in Tashkent, had been there for ages. And so my mom was going to come and visit me in Hong Kong, her first trip uh, since we had moved there. This is, uh, this is uh, uh, now 2004, I believe, uh, when she comes. And so... Um, she comes and then, but all these crazy Korean people from Korea were calling her, like some of her supporters say, don't go to Hong Kong. It's too dangerous there. People are like falling down on the street and dying and things like that. You know, you know the Korean media here. And so it was just crazy. And so I was like, no, actually they're not. I mean, some people are dying for sure, but it's, it's, it's just more close contact and all these different things. I'm trying to explain to my mom. And then my mom calls me and says, you know what, Sam, I'm not going to come um, because it's too dangerous. And I don't know why. I don't typically do this because I'm, I'm, I consider myself a pretty good son. But when I was, when I was talking on the phone, just this anger, I, I would say righteous anger, rose up in me. And I just started straight up rebuking my mom. And I said, I said, Oma, you're a missionary. You're a, supposed to be a woman of faith. Cowing down to this thing. Like, who controls your life? SARS or God? <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, to be honest, you know, at my church, people were coming to church with the masks on and stuff. I just started straight up rebuking them. And so that thing ain't going to protect you. Well, I did the medical research. Actually, it doesn't protect you at all. Right? It's, it's like, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's fake. It, it, it actually doesn't protect you at, at all, actually. You need, like, surgical, like, super heavy duty, uh, you know, kind of with the battery-powered, you know, air thing. That's what you need. This, this, this piece of paper on your mouth is not going to help you at all. And I would challenge our church, hey, man, are you going to step out in faith or are you going to operate in fear? And I said, when you come to this church, take that darn mask off your face because that's a sign of your fear. You know, the crazy thing is our crazy church people, they believe me. They took off the mask and their faith started growing. You know, when we first started, we started with six people and all of them, not very good Christians at all. Honestly, they're, they're, they're really immature and this was the first time that they had, their te- faith was tested. Am I going to trust God? Or am I going to trust this mask? Now, okay, there's nothing wrong with wearing a mask, okay? But for us, that, during that time, it was a prophetic statement. And so my mom, I mean, it's crazy. She's like, no, 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 everyone's telling me don't go. And I said, no, no, you better, you better come, right? You better come. We're going to have a good time. So you better. And so my mom, because she's a woman of faith. She, t- she teaches her church to operate in faith. And so we came. We had the best time, man, because, like, nobody was in Hong Kong. Like, it was a ghost town. You know, back in the days, like, you'd have to wait in line for restaurants. Now we came in, and they gave us, like, hey, come on in, you know, free food. I mean, it was, we had such a wonderful time, and we just enjoyed uh, so much during that place. It's faith. It, faith is so beautiful. Intellectual conviction, volitional surrender of our will. But let me give you the text. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to turn a corner here. Daniel chapter 3. This is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys may be very familiar with this if you came to Sunday school. And in Daniel chapter 3, we see what happens is Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden image. And, and he's so full of himself. And so he commands that all the Babylonians, everybody, bow down and worship this golden image they had set up. Now, 
the Jews were thrown into captivity, Babylonian captivity during this time. But the Babylonians were really smart, and they took the best of the men, and they trained them basically to be government officials, uh, to help govern uh, the exiles that were there. And so there was actually obviously a little jealousy between the non-Jews to the Jews. And so we pick up the story here. And so read, we'll read from verse 12. Uh, this is Daniel 3, verse 12. And there were certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, the bagpipe, all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace, a blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In June 1940, there's actually a movie about this. I haven't seen the movie yet, so if you've seen it, tell me later if it's good or not. Uh, In June 1940, Hitler's armies are poised to destroy the cornered British army stranded at the beaches of Dunkirk. I think that's the name of the movie. As the British people anxiously await the fate, a three-word message is translated from the besieged army. You know what that three-word message says? Even if not. The British public instantly recognized this message It was a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before Nebuchadnezzar's fire. Remember what it says? He says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Intellectual conviction. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This message, this even if not, goes across the English Channel. It galvanizes the British public. They get in boats, sailboats, rowboats, tugboats, and they cross the English Channel and rescue the besieged army. Winston Churchill says this was one of the turning points in the army against the Germans uh, during World War II. And it it was this simple cry of faith, even if not, let's break down what these guys are saying here. It's, it's this courage, this desperation, this faith. Even if not, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said that our God is able to save us. Intellectual conviction. Our God is powerful. Our God is strong. Our God is mighty. He is able to save us. Now, this is where the volitional surrender. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. Isn't that powerful? Intellectual conviction. Our God will save us, but the volitional surrender, even if he doesn't, we will still not bow down. Brothers and sisters, New Philadelphia Church is in a defining moment. This is the moment or the opportunity of faith. 
This is where it comes from. Let me, let me tell you where this message came from. This, this is, this is I'm born out of my life. So I, I, was, um, um, I, I was a youth pastor. Uh, and then um, uh, doing youth ministry, we, we had an incredible move of God in our ministry. Uh, I mean, things were happening. Um, some of you guys know Pastor Brian Kim. Uh, Brian Kim was one of my students. He actually got saved uh, uh, in, in that youth group. And then now he's become this powerful, amazing pastor. And so Brian was with us during that time. And the, God was moving on us. Uh, and then uh, the Lord led me to go actually back to my university. I went to a Christian university in Southern California. And so the school asked me to come back and become the campus pastor. I was 20, 28 years old. Can you imagine? And I was, I was pastoring my Old Testament professors when, when I was an undergrad. I mean, it was crazy. And so I was now in charge of the, this, this uh, huge university. And so I did that for three years. And then I felt like the Lord asked me to move on. So I quit my job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and so just, I just stepped out in faith because that's what God said. And so I just did it. And then uh, about two weeks later, I get a phone call from uh, basically this organization called The Call. And so they basically, uh, so you guys know Lou Engel and these guys, uh, Lou's a, a dear friend. And so they asked me if I would lead the follow-up t- uh, team at the call. So move out to D.C. Uh, 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 for a couple months, uh, uh, train and get things ready. And then uh, we, we gathered 400,000 people at the mall in Washington, D.C. for 12 hours of prayer and fasting. And then from there, we got in this huge motorhome, and we traveled all over the United States for four months. And every night, a different church in a different house, just preaching the messages of the call. So that happened. And then uh, now I, mean, I did this basically U.S. tour. Um, I became a little more famous, I guess, uh, a l- little more um, uh, known uh, uh, nationally. I mean, I was, I was pretty well-known in California, but well-known nationally. And I had all these job offers, all these different things coming my way. And so one of them was actually uh, with the Billy Graham Association. And they asked me to, uh, to actually work with Billy. And I would be a part of Amsterdam 2000 and, and be mentored. And I mean, it's just all these incredible opportunities. I think I broke my mom's heart. Uh, when I turned Billy Graham down, uh, you know, like every Korean mom whose who's son's a pastor wants them to work with Billy Graham. But I just really felt like that, that wasn't where God was leading me. And, and I mean, just so many different doors opening up and just what to do, what to do. And then God, I really, I really sense that God asked me to learn to be a son. And so this is, this is where God was leading me. And so my old pastor had moved back to California from Canada and uh, the Lord just spoke to me very clearly. He's just go and just learn under him, learn to be a son. We had just planted, uh, uh, um, not necessarily planted, but we're coming out of a Korean church at the time, one of the biggest churches in the area. And we're coming out during this place. And so I joined the staff, uh, and I didn't take a salary. I said, I'm just going to serve the house, uh, uh, you know, however long. And that's, that's, what, that's what I'm going to do. I just just told a step of faith, and, and God really met me in that way financially. Um, well, Kind of, I'm kind of broke, but in any case, um, I mean, I still, I, I'm still here, right? So it means that God took care of me. So what ended up happening was I was on staff at the church for two years. And for two years, you know what my main job was? I know you're thinking like, man, that guy's a really good speaker. It's, it's okay, right? It's like, you know, and, but you know what I did for two years? I did the announcements at my church. That's all I did. I mean, every once in a while, I preach once in a while. But primarily, I did the announcements. And in the beginning, man, I was so happy to do that. I'm just, because I'm learning to be a son. I'm going to submit to my spiritual father. This is, this is, this is going to be great, you know, all these things. And honestly, about six months into it, like, like, I don't know about you, my will, my will is good for six months. Which is, that's not bad. Some of you guys are like two weeks will, right? 
I got a six-month will. So six months, I was doing pretty good. And then the seventh month, I'm sitting kind of where you're sitting, and I'm listening to my pastor. I'm like, man, I can do better than that. Dude, that exegesis was kind of, it's a little off, man. Right? I mean, he should, he should, he should really, you know, gone this way. Or that, that, that illustration, oh, it's, I got another one. This, my illustration would be so much better than that. And, and it's this spiral started happening to me. Uh, I started getting depressed. I've never been depressed in my life. And so I, I basically, you know how I tell you depressed? You don't want to wake up in the morning. Nowadays, I, I wake up usually 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. It's just natural. I'm, I'm a morning person. But back then, I'm waking up 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And I don't, I, I don't want to do anything. All I want to do is watch TV. And so, unfortunately, we had cable, you know, in California. So I'm just watching TV all day long. I don't want to do anything. And I realized I didn't want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. And to be honest, I very rarely did. The only times, I, if, I, if I'm going to be very honest, the only times I really did that was when I had to prepare a sermon. Because I was still going out and, and preaching at retreats and revival meetings. But in my own church, I was just in charge of doing the announcements. And it just started wearing on me. And I thought, here I am, thought I was this good son and all this other stuff. And I realized, man, I got a lot of issues in my heart. I got a lot of stuff going on deep inside of me. And then finally, one day, one morning, I decided to open up the Bible. And I just, I just did one of these, like, open up God, speak to me, you know, kind of stuff. And just point the finger. It works sometimes, man. I do that. And you know what, you know what passage I get to? Daniel chapter 3. And I read this. And I read it, and the Holy Spirit says, did you see that? I was like, no. I read it again. Holy Spirit says, huh, 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 no. Finally, third time, I got it. See, all my life, my whole Christian life was very easy. I, I asked God for something, and he gave it to me just like that. I needed something, boom, just like that. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I, here I am. I feel like God's asking me to go to seminary. And so I sit there and say, God, you know, you know I, don't, I don't get any, any money. I, qu- I quit my high-paying job, you know, to go into youth ministry. And so I don't have money for seminary. The next Sunday, one of the elders of my church walks up to me, passes me this envelope. And he's like, gangster, man. Right? Passes me this envelope full of money, puts it on my hand. And he didn't say anything. He just says, study hard. And he walks away. And I open up the envelope. It's like $3,000 there, basically my first quarter of tuition at Fuller Seminary. And it was like that. I, my whole, my whole uh, um, uh, seminary education was paid off. And, and just things like that. Can have, I asked God, bam, he did it for me. And so Christian life was so easy. And, but I'd always ask God for faith. God, give me faith. Give me incredible faith. And I realized that I was in a moment at that moment. See, worshiping God when everything is going well is called praise. You guys get that? In fact, if you don't worship God when things are going well, you're ungrateful. So when everything is going well and you worship God, that is natural for us to do that. That is normal. We should be worshiping God when things are going well. That's, that's called worship. That's called praise. You know what it's called when we worship God and it's not going well? It's called faith. It's faith. It is the moment of faith. I was reading, and I just got up, and I said, this is it. This is my moment. I'd asked God my whole life, Lord, I want to have faith. But there was no opportunity for faith because everything was going so well. I mean, you know, you, you know, I've never applied for a job. 
Isn't that crazy? I mean, secular, yes. But in the church, I never applied for a job. Whenever I needed something, I had like three or four people come and ask me, and I had to decide what to do. I mean, it's crazy. Even job interviews for church, I don't even know what it looks like. I just, I just showed up, and they just give me a job. I mean, it just, it became, I'm serious. It becomes so easy. And that was the first time in my life that it wasn't easy, that God removed his voice from me. Or, or better still, I actually, my, my sinfulness led me to not he, be able to hear. I think God was always speaking to me. First time ever. And it was this even if not moment. God, Lord, you're able to save me. But even if you don't, yet God, I will still trust in you. Job said it this way. Job in 13.5, he says, even if you kill me, yet I will still trust in you. That's faith. Look, your mom is sick. Lord, Lord, I believe you can heal, heal my mom. But even if you don't, God, I will still trust in you. God, I believe that you have a husband, a wife out there for me. I believe I'm supposed to be married, God. But even if I'm not, God, I still trust in you. It's faith. Lord, I don't have a job. I have nowhere to to make an income. Lord, I believe you're the provider. I believe I have an intellectual conviction. But God, even if you don't provide, yet I will still trust in you. That's faith. That's a defining moment. Brothers and sisters, New Philadelphia Church, you are in an even if not moment. Only in difficult, trying times does God give us an opportunity for faith. All through your existence as a church, you've just had opportunities for praise. Because things have been going well. God showed up. You didn't deserve it. God just showed up. It's amazing. how, And so that was just a time of praise. Now you're stepping into a season of faith. It's difficult. I don't understand what's going on. It's confusing. And he comes in this place. And he says, and that's when we choose to worship God. When everything is going well, we worship God. Like I said, it's praise. But faith arises when we worship God and nothing is going well. My wife uh, is from a church called Grace Church. She, she grew up there. And so Grace has churches all over the world. I mean, thousands of churches in Russia. But they have this one particular church in Dushanbe, Tajikistan. And this was my first year when I was on my staff. And it was, we were still part of Grace Church at the time. And so there was a, these Muslims came into the church. It was, it was the biggest church in Tajikistan. It was a Grace Church. Came into the church and set off uh, uh, some uh, uh, pipe bombs. And so they, they, they actually hid it in bread baskets, and they put one in the sanctuary next to a column, and they put two down actually under the basement uh, where the foundation, and their, their hope was that the whole building would, would collapse and kill everybody because it's, it's the most influential church in Tajikistan. And so, uh, you know, thank God that the two bombs in the basement didn't go off. They failed, but the one bomb went off inside the sanctuary, a whole wall uh, was actually torn up. Uh, uh, a bunch of people died. Uh, many people were sick. We immediately, our church sent a medical team right away. All of our doctors that we had, we sent them all to Tajikistan right away because, I mean, the crazy thing was because it's, it's a heavily Muslim country, uh, they, the, the, our pastors were arrested. Not the Muslims, but the pastors were arrested. And then they went and they wouldn't treat them in the hospitals and all these kinds of things because they were Christians. So much persecution. So teams there. And my friends came back from the trip and it was so touching. 
And they were sharing uh, about all the, the young women. And the church was full of, of these young Russian women, uh, Tajik women. Uh, these Russian, beautiful, beautiful girls. And because the, the wall where the glass uh, had blown up, shards actually just shot all through the sanctuary. And so the, to, the, to the girls, because of their, um, uh, uh, the glass going to their head, they all had to shave their heads so they could remove the glass. That was just, I mean, just like the, uh, ricocheting all over the place. And so my friend says that, he says, I'll never forget this experience, the most humbling time. And they're worshiping the Lord. And, and so think about this experience. The wall of the church is gone. A bomb had blown up in this place. And so they're all kneeling during service, and the worship guy gets up, and he starts leading worship. And the young Russian girls who had to shave their heads, and they're wearing head coverings now, they're all kneeling before the Lord, arms raised. And they were, they were singing this song in Russian. Basically, the words were, I trust you no matter what. And my friends were watching this, and everyone was just weeping. They came back and told the story to us, and the whole, our whole church is just weeping. And even for me, even when I think about it, I still get a little emotional. And just, just the faith of these young women. It, it, I mean, to come back to the place where their friends died. To, to come back where the, half the church and their, their pastors are in custody and, and all these things. And, they're sing, and, and just the faith for them to be on their knees and saying, it doesn't matter what the enemy can do to my body. My lips, as long as I have breath, I'm going to praise the Lord. And they're singing this beautiful Russian song just how much they trust Jesus. That's faith. That's beautiful how that works. It's, 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 it's amazing what God does to the people when we step out in that place of faith. Esther, in her own way, said, if I perish, I perish. That's a statement of faith. This is when her uncle Mordecai, Mordecai proclaimed to her, This is why you're a queen, Esther, for such a time as this. And what's her response? All right, if I perish, I perish. That's faith. That's faith. See, I think you guys, you're in a Queen Esther experience right now. You're in a Queen Esther moment to trust God or not. My favorite, C.S. Lewis. This is a paraphrase, okay? And so C.S. Lewis says this, this if you read the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis says, Hell is never more afraid than when a believer looks out to the universe and sees no sign of God and no sign of love, but yet says, I trust you anyway. Isn't that beautiful? Man, you got to love smart English guys, man, right? (laughs) Hell is never more afraid when a believer looks out to the universe sees no sign of God and no sign of love and says, God, I trust you anyway. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus hung on the cross. Darkness falls over the whole earth. He cries out, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the end of three hours of hell and darkness where the sins of the world engulf him at that moment, God the Father, God the Spirit, it's a mystery, abandoned God the Son on the cross. Darkness falls, and how does he conclude? He says, Father, Abba, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus looked out to the universe. There was no love. There's no peace, no sign of God. And he says, but God, I trust you anyway. That was his moment of faith. See, what we call adversity, 
God calls it opportunity. Revelation 12.11. You know how the church defeats the devil? 12.11. John lays it out for us. He says, they, the church, overcame him, the devil, through the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they despised their life even unto death. It's faith. It's faith. Let me close with, with this verse. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, and I believe that this is the prayer that you should be praying in this season for your church right now. And, and this is one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. In Second Chronicles 20, 12, it's the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites surround the Israelites at this time. And so they're coming to make war with Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat looks out, and this is his prayer. This is a powerful prayer. This is verse 12. He says, oh God, will you not judge them, the enemies? And he says, we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that powerful? They said, Lord, we don't know what to do. I'm the king, but I have no idea how to, how to traverse this situation that we're in right now. I, I, I'm totally powerless. Our army, we're going to be killed by the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites. There's no way we can happen. They're coming against us. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's confusing, I know. You lost your senior pastor. It's confusing. It's crazy. It's puzzling. You feel powerless in many ways. But see, flip the script. Just place our eyes on Jesus. See, history is full of men and women who looked at darkness and then said, I trust you anyway. I trust you Anyway, it's one of my favorite songs. And John, won't you come up? It's uh, Horatio Spafford, if you know the story. Horatio Spafford was a friend of D.L. Moody's. And Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago and uh, with a lot of uh, uh, investments, land investments. And what ended up happening is the great Chicago fire basically wiped out most of his, his land holdings. It was a really sad situation. And so Moody says, you know what, I'm going to go to England for an evangelistic campaign to get your mind off the fire and your loss. Why don't you come join me uh, during this time? And so Spafford uh, was, was ready to go, had, had four daughters and a wife. And so the last minute, some business dealings, he actually had to stay back. And so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead. And in November of 1873 in the SS Villa uh, du Havre, uh, the ship sank. On the way to England, his four daughters died and drowned during that. His wife was saved in that, in that place. And then uh, Spafford took the next boat out, the next ship. And as he goes and he sees the exact location where his daughters had drowned and where the ship had sank, the Lord gives them this song. And some of you guys may be aware of it. It says, when peace like a river... Attendeth my way. Imagine Spafford, what he's doing here. He's looking out to the ocean and says, When sorrows like sea billows roll. He's looking at the exact spot where his daughters had drowned. And he's looking, listen to these words, When peace like a river, Lord, I have your peace. Intellectual conviction. It comes and attendeth my way. When sorrows, he's watching the waves. And he's looking, he's just looking at where his daughters drowned. When sorrows like sea billows roll, 
This is the faith. But whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. New Philadelphia Church, this is your season right now to say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. I feel powerless to do anything about it. But Lord, our eyes are on you. This is the opportunity of faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, The righteous shall live by faith. Jesus, in Luke 18, the second part of verse 8, says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Isn't that powerful? What are you going to do? This is your moment right now. How are you going to respond, New Philadelphia Church? This is for Alpha Hongdae. This is for all the campuses overseas in Australia, down in Busan, and the other campuses here in Seoul. This is your moment of faith. This is the opportunity that you've been waiting for your whole life. Finally, you run into some tribulation. Finally, you run into some disagreement. Finally, you run into a little bit of trouble. Now what the writer says, take it, consider all joy, my brothers, when you encounter these various trials. What a crazy guy. I mean, what kind of crazy guy says stuff like that? Because he knows the opportunities that come our way. Now, some of this is not even related to the church. You have your own battles that you're going through. Own prayers that you've been praying that's not been coming into fruition. There are more, there are different journeys that all of us are on. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that the Lord handpicked this Sunday that you're here right now to take a stand and say, this is my moment of faith. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, I trust you anyway, Lord. So I don't want you to close your eyes. All the campuses.